Hello, everyone, and welcome to my third solo episode. Basically, call me Han Solo because I'm jamming out with the solo episodes. Anyways, don't call me that. So, uh, even though he's a cool guy. So, this episode is about the most expensive mistake I see people making when it comes to whole life insurance. So, this episode is for you. If you've heard about whole life insurance and you're wondering if it's as good as some people say it is and if it's as bad as what some other people say it is and it seems like a super complicated decision, I'm going to help you avoid what I've seen as the most expensive mistake when it comes to whole life insurance. So, the purpose of this episode is really to arm you with enough knowledge to ask the right questions. If someone is encouraging you to go down to this pathway and it can save you a lot of time to come at it from the angle that I'm going to encourage you to approach. Because one option is you can technically learn about all the different ins and outs of this product, which is kind of simple in some ways, but also kind of complex in other ways. And you can learn all about the dividend scale and guaranteed growth, invested growth, and an IFA and collateral loans and guarantor fees, mortality rates, surplus dividends. Uh, smoothing, standard deviation. You can dig into all this stuff. You can go buck wild with it. But if you don't actually need the product at all, it's kind of like spending a ton of time learning how to pilot an airplane when you have absolutely no intention of ever flying an airplane. So I'm really encouraging you to go down a pathway of, first of all, figuring out if you actually need the thing before you become sort of an expert on it. So the purpose of this is then to arm you with the right information, the right questions of if you're going to meet with someone or talk to someone who's going to, uh, is encouraging you to take a look at this, it's to help guide you down a logical decision path in the context of a plan to see if this, if this is something you need to take on or not. So diving into things, disclaimer, if you have not hired me as your financial planner, then I do not know your specific situation. So please do not take any action based on what I say today without talking to someone who does understand your situation from an overall, fin overall financial planning standpoint from a tax standpoint, from an estate planning standpoint, like please don't take any action just based on this information. Talk to someone who understands your concept. Now, that being said, the, this episode is based on insight that I've gleaned over 10 years of working as a financial advisor, financial planner, and helping people figure out if whole life insurance makes sense for them. And I understand the product really well. So next, my potential biases and conflicts of interest. So first and foremost, I'm a fee-based certified financial planner. So people hire me to create financial plans. They pay me for a plan. I deliver a plan. If at the end of the day, they also desire to implement with me, if someone actually at the end of the day needs pro-life insurance or it makes sense for them to implement it, I do get compensated for that. So first off, I do a plan to actually find out if people need it or not. And then if they implement with me, I do get compensated for it. So that's my potential conflict of interest and bias. Now, one con piece of context that's very important is when I mention whole life insurance, I'm specifically talking about participating whole life insurance not non-participating whole life insurance, not universal life insurance, because I find that participating whole life insurance is the type that people are most commonly talking about when it comes to whole life insurance, participating. Like this, if you pick up, if you listen to something or read something about whole life insurance, they're talking about this usually. So that's why I'm going to focus on this one. And I might refer to it as PAR or whole, just general whole life, but that's what I'm talking about. So when I say I've, the biggest mistake in whole life insurance that I, the most expensive mistake I see people making is buying it, but they don't really need it. So, um, you know, I believe you have a path before you to kind of help figure out if you need it or not. Um, when I became an advisor, I didn't know what whole life insurance was. I didn't really, I never really heard of it. I became an advisor. I heard about it. I learned about it. And then I was, you know, working for a few years and I didn't realize it was such a polarizing topic until I came across a lot of financial stuff out there that's um, you know, talking about it. And I have actually been in a room with physicians, uh, listening to other physicians who uh, know a lot about finances. And one person said, 
it was like the best thing ever. And this other person said it was like the worst thing ever. So I kind of looked around the room and I'm like, people are kind of confused. It's like, why is it so polarizing? Who do I believe when it comes to this? And I'm going to help take that polarization off the table a little bit, because what I find is that a lot of the polarization comes from the idea that it's not a nuanced decision and there is some nuance to it. So for a while, after I became an advisor, I was trained, I was hired to train other advisors because I used to be a teacher of a master's in education. I love explaining things simply. So people are like, Hey, why don't you train our advisors? And one day I'm walking past this table of advisors that are kind of, kind of arguing. And one of them turned to me and said, term or whole life, like term insurance or whole life insurance, two types of insurance. And I just answered back, it depends. And they get kind of irritated with me when I'd say things like it depends because they just wanted this black and white, non-nuanced answer of like, yes, this, or yes, that. And it really is, it depends. Like it depends on a lot of factors. And so I think one of the things that helps take this polarization out of the mix is that any financial product or financial approach or any maneuver, I think of it as a tool. So like when people ask me things like, how do you feel about this? Or what's your opinion about this? It's like, I don't feel anything about life insurance because it's a tool. No more than I feel anything about the shovel in my garage. I don't feel anything about a tool. I get excited about what different financial tools can do for people and whether it can speed them up towards their financial destinations or their financial goals. But other than that, like the tool itself is, you know, it's just a tool. So, you know, for example, when I first place I ever lived, my wife and I got married in Venezuela and we lived in a condo and we didn't need a lot of tools because we were in a condo. So like I had a drill, like some wrenches, screwdriver, you know, stuff like that. Didn't need a shovel. Certainly didn't need a snowblower <laughs> living in a fairly warm country that didn't snow. And so if I'd bought, you know, just to use this example, a snowblower, it would have been something I didn't need. Uh, you know, at the time, it just didn't make any sense for me to buy it. Now I live in Canada, I have a big driveway, I have a backyard rink, so it makes tons of sense for me to own a snowblower. And it's a tool that helps me do something faster so I can get on with my life. What evokes emotion in my life is when I can get my driveway clear faster, when I can get my backyard rink cleared faster, or when I can go help my neighbor who doesn't have a snowblower clear his driveway. You know, like that's what makes me happy is what it does for me. So there's no really feeling or opinion about the tool itself. It's what it can do for me. I feel the same way about financial tools. And so the emotion comes in when any given financial tool is going to help someone retire earlier, have more peace of mind around their money or some other tangible gain that's going to have a positive impact in their quality of life. And there's another reason why I think it's polarizing, which I'm also going to help address, is because I think a lot of people, when they do their analysis of the tools that are out there, if they if they've decided that they don't need this tool in their toolbox, so if they've decided that they don't need whole life insurance, then I think a lot of times they think, well, if I don't need it, probably no one needs it. Or if people have decided that they do need it and really want it, they might think that, oh, everyone else should need it and want it. But it's really nuanced. It's really dependent on the individual. But a lot of people do get attached to what the decisions they've made and kind of think that those decisions should happen for other people. So I'm going to give some examples, real life examples of people who I've helped figure out whether it did or did not make sense to buy this specific product and to help avoid the most expensive mistake, which is buying something you don't need. So two examples, I'm cautious to give enough details for the examples to be helpful, but not enough that anyone could ever figure out what I'm talking about because client confidentiality is obviously of utmost importance. So a couple of years back, a person came to me and they're about to retire and they wanted to know, okay, have I saved up enough? Am I gonna be okay in retirement? Can you project this forward for me? And then they also had in the back of their mind, like, you know, I've kind of heard that if you pass away with a lot of money, there might be a tax issue. I've heard about this thing called whole life. I'm kind of interested in it. Like, will you let me know if I need it or not? And I said, yeah, sure thing. So the funny thing is when I met this person, if someone had done sort of like a back of the napkin analysis for this person, like a very quick one, they probably would have said, oh, this person does need whole life insurance. But after we delved into the plan, 
crunched the numbers, ran the data, the data that is free of, you know, bias, nuance, you know, it's data. Uh, we actually helped figure out that they didn't need it. And so I'll take you through the steps because it's important. So the principal purpose for whole life insurance to buy is to take care of a long-term tax burden on debt. And it's not the only thing that can do that. Like there are other options. And it's also not the only thing that it does. It also helps accumulate tax advantaged growth. But I'm not going to dive into that on right now. I'm just talking about like the long-term purpose, which is really estate planning. Um, you might be using it for other reasons if you already own it, or you might be getting it for other reasons, but this is like a principal reason. So um, that's the first thing is like, okay, first off, is there going to be an estate planning issue? Is there going to be a tax issue? So this person had a lot of money in RSPs. And so if someone is, you know, if someone's married, they pass away, things, if they've structured it the right way, it rolls over to the other spouse, if that's what they want to have happen, pretty straightforward. But whenever the last person passes away, that value gets added to the value of their estate in the year of death. And it doesn't take long to get up into 50% tax bracket in Canada. So there are people who own RSPs who are going to see 50% of it go to taxes when they pass away. Now, the, that's the first thing is, is there going to be a tax burden? And the second thing is, do you care? Like some people, you know, maybe they don't care about leaving a legacy. Maybe they're not that concerned, or maybe there's other assets that could be sold to take care of that tax issue, or maybe they still feel like they're leaving enough. There's all sorts of reasons why someone wouldn't be bothered by this idea. So in their case, we did the math and we said, we can actually take care of this tax issue. Like we can look at a way where you're going to be okay. You're going to have enough money in retirement. There is going to be a surplus when left over. But is there a way for us to mitigate the tax issue where we can draw down on different accounts in a tax efficient way? So in their case, we looked at their life expectancy. We showed them what the likely tax bill would be if they lived to their life expectancy. And it just didn't concern them. They're like, you know what? I don't think we really need to do anything about this. So perfect. We said, doesn't make sense. If you don't care about it, we've mitigated the problem pretty well. Not something that's going to bother you. Probably doesn't make sense to put any money into this. Now, I'm going to jump into the next story where it did make sense. And I want to be super clear here. Like my main role day to day is I help physicians answer their biggest questions around finances via a fee-based plan where you pay me up front to help define your goals, help analyze your likelihood of reaching them, and then look for areas of optimization and give you a blueprint on how to achieve it and how to implement. So part of my planning analysis covers this question of do you even need this in the first place? And if the plan dictates that you do, then the next step is to structure it properly. Today, I'm talking about the most expensive mistake, which I believe is to buy something you don't need. The second most expensive mistake I see people making with whole life insurance is not structuring it properly. And most of the data out there and analyses out there around whole life insurance is basing it on what I would call kind of an old way of structuring it. Um, when I hear like the highest criticisms I hear of the product, they're usually looking at a very old way of structuring it where it's not very flexible. Um, it's not very, the growth is a little bit slower than if you get structure it in a more flexible way. So I'm not going to dive into all the ins and outs of this, but if the first mistake is buying something, buying, buying this product that you don't need it, I'd say the second most expensive mistake is structuring it improperly. And there could be a substantial difference in the value of the death benefit or the value of the cash value if people aren't structuring it properly. So if you want to talk to someone who will use data to answer these questions for you and not rules of thumb or hearsay, you can click on the link wherever you're listening to this to book a free, no obligation call to see if a plan could help you answer lots of questions and this specific question. And if I don't think a plan's a good fit for you, I'll tell you. And if it is a good fit for you, I'll map out to you what your next steps are. So second case study. So fast forward a year or so, I did a plan for another individual. And as much as I am going to not share details about them, 
If you are listening right now, you know exactly that I'm talking about you because this is a plan that I did for the most analytical person I've ever encountered in my planning career. Uh, engineers, I love engineers, and they're pretty well known for being analytical. And this specific doctor blew every engineer I'd ever met out of the water when it came with their power of analysis. So this doctor was doing advanced calculate, advanced tax calculations around their corporation, like our analyses. Like I was really impressed with what this person was doing. Very high analytic, highly analytical human being. Now they were uh, a do-it-yourself investor, like a self-directed investor, but they hadn't quite figured out the insurance side of things. And they're like, you know what? I've got all this figured out, but I do need you to figure out this whole life insurance thing. I need you to figure out if an IFA is going to make sense for me. Like, is this the most efficient way to take care of my tax estate issues? So we did the same ex exercise. Is this a need? Is it a part of the, the plan? Are you going to have a surplus when you pass away? Is it going to be taxable? Is it something you'd like to do about it? We went down that whole decision tree and at the end of the day, he's like, yes, this does make sense. It makes sense for me to get a whole life insurance policy. So they move forward with it because the decision tree we went down and then we structured it the proper way, which we took into consideration how long they're going to pay into it, how much they're going to pay into it, how much flexibility they wanted around the premium. Uh, we took a look at um, how fast it was going to grow and ca even capital dividend account. Like that's another whole thing you can potentially learn about if you really feel like it, um, how that was going to be affected by the way we were doing it. So I'm giving these two examples because I've had people come to me who actually wanted it. Like they just kind of said, hey, I've heard really good things about it. I really want it. And we we're actually able to solve the problem without them taking it, like taking on a whole life insurance policy. And then someone for whom it actually did make sense to solve the problem. So it really comes down to individual situations. So my goal with this episode has been to arm you with some information and some good talking points to have with anyone who's encouraging you to take this on to see if it's specific to your situation. As I said, I don't know your specific situation, so I don't know for sure, but it can help you kind of look at what are those top things that have to kind of line up for it to make sense. So I really encourage you to talk to someone who's first going to figure out if you need it or not. And then if you do, they're going to be very open about the different ways to structure the policy in a way that's going to be the best for you. So upcoming episodes, I'm very excited about a few that I have recorded. One is an author who wrote a book specifically for high earning female professionals around money mindset. Another doctor who is a self-directed investor, we're going to talk about the top things that he thinks should be in place before you decide to uh, self-direct your investments. The next one is a doctor who is a practice management pro who has helped other physicians run more efficient practices and a lawyer to talk about corporate wills or dual wills as to what's the impact of using those or not. And as I said, wherever you found this podcast, there's going to be a link. Click on it if you want to have, book a 30-minute no-obligation call to have a conversation with me to see if a plan makes sense for you. Awesome. See you on the next one.